Today's reading is from Exodus 25, 8 through 9, and you can find that in your bulletin. Exodus 25, 8 and 9. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. Shortest scripture reading on record. (laughs) Well, we're talking about the tabernacle this morning, and it so happens that it was providential that I would actually sort of be up to speed on the tabernacle because Friday morning, which was the day before I got that phone call, I was at Kiki's having breakfast with a very close friend who's a business leader in town, and we've been getting together twice a month to go through the book of Exodus together. We'd read a commentary, talk about the passage of Scripture, have a great time. And so Friday morning, we were talking about the tabernacle, and I thought, we are the only people in all of Orlando talking about the tabernacle this morning. I can't imagine anybody else talking. Man, you might be asking, why is the tabernacle so important, and why would we talk about that this morning? Now, let me give you a quote This is from Nancy Guthrie talking about the importance of the tabernacle, but it's echoed by scholars throughout the centuries. She said, the tabernacle is the most important building in the history of the world. The most important building in the history of the world. And that's where I thought, you mean, there's a lot of important buildings around the world. There's the Taj Mahal in India. There's the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. There's Buckingham Palace in London, and I'm sorry to say, even in Orlando, the Dr. Phillips Center does not measure up to the, uh, the tabernacle. So we're going to talk about that today, and we're going to talk about its importance. Now, one of the things that we want to do is place the tabernacle in the context of the story of Exodus. Because we are wrapping up the book of Exodus. We have been in Exodus since Easter. And Dr. A.J. Motier, a British scholar, in writing about the book of Exodus, made this observation. He said, when you get to Exodus 40, when the tabernacle has been completed and the glory cloud comes down on that tabernacle, that is the destination of the book of Exodus. He says that that is like... uh, and I'll use my own words here, it's like bookends. It's like a bookend over here, and the beginning of Exodus was Exodus chapter 1, and the, the, the sermon title of our first sermon on Exodus was about the dark clouds of suffering. So if you think about it, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. They were under a dark cloud of suffering, and they'd been there for 400 years crying out to God. You get to the middle of Exodus, you get to Exodus 14, and you have the parting of the Red Sea, and so they are rescued out of slavery from Egypt. And that's our story too, because when you became a Christian, you were rescued out of slavery and transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You had an Exodus as well, and that's our story. But it didn't end there because God's plan was to move beyond salvation. His plan for the Christian life is to grow in grace and to grow in knowledge and to grow and get to know God. And his plan is to find his purpose in worshiping God. The Westminster Confession of Faith says that the chief 
end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that is our destination. So the other end of the bookend, there was dark clouds in chapter one, but chapter four, you have the glory cloud coming down on the tabernacle. And that's how we're gonna talk about the tabernacle. It is so relevant to us today, and you'll see that in a few moments. But we're gonna do four simple questions today. First, what was the tabernacle? Secondly, how was the tabernacle built? Thirdly, what was in the tabernacle? And then fourth, why is that relevant to us today? And I would venture to say, well, I'll be honest with you guys. I have not been a tabernacle expert. I mean, I was familiar with all these stories of Egypt, but you get to the last, like, let's see, we're in Exodus 25 today, so it's the last 15 chapters is all of this minutia about the priesthood and the tabernacle and the, and the, and the, the bread and about the, the candlelight and all those different things and about the holy of holies and all of that. What this is gonna do for you today is now you're gonna walk out of here even as a mature Christian with definitions and an outline of what all this stuff is because the Bible talks about this throughout the Bible and we need to know about it, we need to hear about it. If this morning this is your first time to look at Exodus, if this morning you are not yet a Christian and you're just exploring the faith, I wanna let you know that this story is good news for you. It presents the good news, the good news of how sinners can come into the presence of a holy God. If you understand the tabernacle, you will understand how to be saved for all eternity. So this is powerful stuff in this passage. So let's start off by talking about what is the tabernacle? That's our first question. I want you to go into verse eight. This was the first thing that was read by Danielle, the first verse. Exodus 25, eight says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning, concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, furniture so you shall make it. I just want you to notice a few words in these two verses here. The first word is tabernacle. What is really meant by the word tabernacle? The tabernacle is a residence or a dwelling place or a tent. So that's all it was, it was a tent. And so what was great about the tabernacle is they were in the wilderness, they had received the Ten Commandments, they had received the law, and they were on this wilderness journey. And God is saying, I'm gonna dwell in a tent just like the rest of you. And it showed the nearness of God. Somebody said that the, the tent of the tabernacle is the place where God stays when he goes camping. It is his way of being with us. But I want you to see a second word. The word tabernacle means residence or to dwell. There is another word here. And that is the word sanctuary. That is the word sanctuary. And I used that earlier in my prayer about our move to Winter Park High School because a sanctuary is a holy place. It is a sacred place. There were various sanctuaries throughout scripture. You know when the first sanctuary was? It was in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve walked with God before they fell into sin. That was a sanctuary. Another sanctuary was the tabernacle. That's what God is saying that he wants them to build. 
that was a sanctuary. And then the temple that Solomon built later, there was a tabernacle, then there was the temple, and that was the dwelling place of God. And then if you go through the Bible, you learn that we as the church are the sanctuary of God. So a sanctuary is a holy place. He says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. He says, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle. And so what it was, the tabernacle followed a plan or a pattern that was revealed by God. And it was, it was, a, it was a picture of something. They had to do it exactly as God said. He had, had to follow that pattern because we learned from Hebrews that the tabernacle in the wilderness, the tabernacle of the people of Israel was a, was a if you will, a mock-up or a visible representation of the great tabernacle in heaven. So what is really going on with the tabernacle here? Well, it, the tabernacle, one person referred, Dr. Motier referred to it as a visual aid. It is a visual aid. So what the tabernacle does, number one, is it explains the gospel to us. It is a visual aid for the gospel. Secondly, it points us to Christ. Thirdly, it's something that points us to the book of Hebrews. In the fall, our church will be doing a study, a 13-week study on the 13 chapters of the book of Hebrews. We couldn't do that unless we went through the book of Exodus and unless we talked about the tabernacle. Because when you go in to the book of Hebrews, there's all these terms associated with the priesthood and the tabernacle. And so the, the book of Hebrews will come alive for you if you understand this visual aid that was given to God's people in the wilderness. So it was a visual aid pointing to the gospel, pointing to Jesus, pointing to the book of Hebrews. And here's the kicker. The tabernacle explains how sinful people can come into the presence of God. So I want to say a personal word. A lot of you in here who have been walking with Christ for years, you know what it's like as you look at your life to see all the ways that you have not loved God, the ways that you have not loved your neighbor. If you're in touch with, with God's holiness and what he's commanded us to do, then you're aware of your sin. You're aware of how much you fall short. So for you this morning, the tabernacle is going to be an announcement of really good news for you because it gives you the gospel. And again, if you're not a Christian this morning, it is also an announcement of good news for you because if you're not a believer, at the end of this sermon, I'm gonna give you an invitation to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the one to whom this tabernacle points. So that's what it was about. It was this visual picture. It was a tent, it was a residence, but it was a sanctuary, a sacred, and a holy place. So how was it built? Let's go to the second question and talk about how it was built. Now earlier in Exodus chapter 25, it says something interesting. Now you, you may have this in your Bible and you could check it out, but if you don't, just listen to these words. These are the words that preceded the two verses that we read this morning. It says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they, may, that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. In other words, what God was doing is he was inviting all of the people to participate 
in the building of the tabernacle. It's an amazing thing. And so what he called for is contributions from the people, and these would be contributions of love, not of guilt or duty, but contributions of love for every man whose heart moves him. Verse three says, and this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze. It sounds like it's about the Olympics, but it's not. But this tabernacle needed to have contributions from the people of their gold. Can you imagine that? They would take their gold and they would give it. They would take their silver, they would give it. They would take their bronze and they would give it because it is what is necessary for the temple. And it's a great insight into how the church works. If you're a member of Lake Baldwin Church, you've taken a vow to support the church in its worship and work. So we do that with our time, our talent, and our treasure, and together all of us, even, even in the August prayer initiative, we're praying for the work of the church together. Even when you give financially, God has blessed this church with generous people who give from the heart. That builds a sanctuary, and then your time. As we've been preparing for this move to Winter Park High School, last week we had a Zoom call, seven in the morning, of all these people, you had Britta Zelke, a deaconess uh, on from Sweden. You had some, you had uh, Carly Bowles on vacation in North Carolina. You had, you had Darren Baker there, who is sort of the expert on all the production stuff. You had Cindy Hassanow with the welcome area. You had Andy Vincent, you had Chris Kendall. You had these deacons that were, that were organizing things. You had Ben Brown, who oversees our splash setup area. And, and, and other people that were there, and what these people were doing, you had Splash staff and all these people, and we were coordinating this effort to build the next tabernacle, to use our gifts, to give our time, and to give our contributions to it. So it's a great picture of how the people of God have a role to play in creating this tent and this sanctuary and this holy place. There's a great quote that said this. This again is, is uh, Dr. Motier. He said that his work secured our redemption. In other words, parting of the Red Sea, the exodus out of Egypt, the people didn't have anything to do with that. God just did that for them. That was salvation by grace, and that's what you experienced when you got saved. His work secured their redemption. And look at this. And then their dedicated gifts and work secure his indwelling. See, everybody had a part in this, and that is what Exodus 25 is about. You look at all the stuff they give. I talked about gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twisted linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing of oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breast piece. And I remember as a young Christian, I used to read through passages like that and my eyes would just glaze over and you go, what is this all about? Now what I'd like to do right now is go on to our third point. I wanna talk about the furnishings of the tabernacle. We saw this in Exodus 25 verse nine. Look at this, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to come with me right now 
and make that, that mental picture of a tour of the tabernacle. So one thing, the tabernacle had a fence all around it and it was a small tent. I was so shocked to learn the size of the, of the tabernacle. It was 15 feet by 45 feet. So it was really quite small as a tent area for the presence of God. Now, outside of the tabernacle, there was something that was known as the courtyard. So you'd go in this one gate, and there was this only one gate that you would go through to enter into the presence of God. And it reminds us of Jesus. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There was this one gate to go in. And you'd go there, and there was this bronze altar where they would sacrifice their animals. And there was a reason for those sacrifices. So outside of the tent itself, there was this bronze altar. And then there was this bronze basin where the priests could wash their hands. And it symbolized cleansing to go into the presence of God. The tabernacle itself and the tent inside had two parts to it. There was the holy place and there was the holy of holies. But remember, we talked about the furnishings. What was in the holy place? So you'd walk in. One of the things you would see is a lampstand. So if you go to Israel, if you look at Hanukkah, if you look at the Jewish traditions, you have this menorah. It was a lampstand. It was in the shape of a tree, and it was all these lights that would be lit. And it's a reminder that Jesus was the light of the world. But it was in the shape of a tree, which meant, as Nancy Guthrie says, that this lampstand made the tabernacle an echo of the Garden of Eden. It was pointing not only forward, but it was pointing back to the Garden of Eden, to that sanctuary of God. And so you have this lampstand that was a reminder of that. You would also have something called the showbread or the bread of the presence. It would be bread that would lay, be laid out. It wasn't bread for God to eat. It was bread for the priests and it was symbolic of the fellowship that God would have with his people through the priests and that they would partake of that bread. And it's such a reminder of Jesus as the bread of life, isn't it? So you've got all these things going in. So all these things are on the outside of that, let me make sure I didn't miss anything as we get into that, that holy place, that first room. There was the lampstand, there was the showbread. Oh, there was also incense. The incense referred to the intercessory prayers of the people of God, and it pointed to Christ because Christ is our high priest who always lives to make intercession for us. So all of this was in the sort of the, uh, the holy place, and that was the first room of the two rooms. Now, before you had to go into the Holy of Holies, there was this huge curtain. I was looking at this curtain back here, and these, this is way, way much bigger than what those curtains were, but there would be these, these thick curtains. Why would you have curtains that would block the entrance into the Holy of Holies? Because people could not come into the presence of God. He was too holy, and so these curtains would block it. In fact, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer sacrifices for the people. It was only one time of year, once a year, and they had to be prepared for that. But what were those curtains all about? Well, now we go back to all these colors and the design of it. The curtains, listen to these colors. First of all, 
they were blue. And scholars look back at that as pointing to the heavenly origin of Christ. They were also purple, which points to the royalty of Christ. They were also scarlet, which points to the blood of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. And it was all woven with white fine linen, which would point to the purity of Christ. And so in a way, those curtains alone pointed to Christ himself, the curtains of the tabernacle. Now we're ready to go into the Holy of Holies. We've gone past the outer, outside the tabernacle, outside the tent. Remember there was the bronze altar, the bronze basin for washing. You go into the holy place, you've got the bread, you've got the incense, you've got the menorah or the lampstand which points you back to the Garden of Eden. And then you go into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was guarded by cherubim. That is a big word for angels. And if you remember back to the Garden of Eden, when, people, when um, Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden, symbolizing their break of fellowship with God, being removed from that sanctuary, the Garden of Eden was guarded by angels or by cherubim so they could not go back in. So these angels were there, and the angels' heads were pointing down, likely in reverence for God. And what was in the Holy of Holies? What was there? Well, one of the things you had there was you had the, what was known as the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you're a Raiders of the Lost Ark fan, and I say Ark of the Covenant, you're totally thrown off by that, because that was a big sort of superstitious, imaginary type of thing. They were trying to evoke all this mystery of the Ark of the Covenant. But the Ark of the Covenant was a small box. One of the things that was in there, you would have Aaron's rod which budded. Uh, you would have manna from the wilderness. These were reminders of Israel's failure in this box. You would also have two copies of the covenant or the Ten Commandments. You would have two tablets. Each was a complete listing of the Ten Commandments. And so if you look inside the Ark of the Covenant, you would have the reminder, and it's a very important reminder of the bad news that all of us have broken God's command. All of us have broken God's law. And that's why it's so encouraging that right above the Ark of the Covenant, there was something placed over it in gold that was known as the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And the mercy seat was the place where the high priest would come in, he would take some of that blood, and he would sprinkle that blood. You read about this in Hebrews, the mercy seat. And what the mercy seat was, it was a reminder of two things. One is that the blood is what cleanses us from sin, the blood of Christ. The blood is also what satisfies the wrath of a holy God. That is called propitiation. So what was there was the mercy seat or the atonement seat. Atonement means at one meant. And then above that, you don't have anything that represents God because there could be no images for him, but that would be the presence of God as you go into the holy of holies. So it's pretty, pretty amazing, pretty spectacular. And there's so much more that we could say about the tabernacle, but that's, that's a little tour of what was in there. It was, a, it was a picture of the greater tabernacle in heaven, but it was a picture of something else. So here's the kicker. All this stuff, now I've been referring to the fact that the lampstand, the bread, the bronze basin with, with the water, the curtains, 
It all pointed to Christ. Now you've got a verse in your bulletin that I wanna, wanna turn to. Uh, on the inside front cover of your bulletin, I want you to see how scripture specifically links the person of Christ. Because remember, in the tabernacle, God is going to dwell among us people in the tabernacle, but that's pointing to a person in whom God would dwell when he would come. So look at John 1.14, under the quotes for reflection, a quote from the Gospel of John, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt. This word dwelt means pitched his tent or tabernacled among us. We know from John 1, verse 1, that the word was God. And that what it's saying here is that God came down to earth, he put on flesh in the person of Christ, he tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the tabernacle points to the incarnation of Christ, the idea that God became man. How else is it relevant to us? The tabernacle points to the atonement. The mercy seat that we described points to the atonement of Christ. Phil Riken talks about the story of the tax gatherer and the sinner, or the, yeah, the, I think it was, no, the Pharisee and the tax gatherer. And the Pharisee was pounding his chest saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax gatherer, a sinner. What was the tax gatherer saying? He was looking up to God and he was saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And he's calling about the mercy, he's crying out for the mercy of God. And it's such a great reminder of that mercy seat because he's saying, God, God, you're a holy God. I'm a sinner, but in between us is your mercy. And so I cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so the tabernacle points to not only the incarnation and the atonement. Now here's a really cool thing. What happened when Christ died on the cross? There were all sorts of like cosmic events that occurred at that moment. But when you read the Gospels, you learn that back to the curtains, the curtains of the temple. In other words, the curtains into the holy of holies were torn in two from top to bottom, which is such a great picture of grace. It's such a great picture of salvation. Imagine this, Christ is hanging on the cross. He dies for our sins. He is that mercy seat for us. And what happened was that the curtains that separated mankind from God were torn from top to bottom, meaning that now, because of the cross and because of Christ, we could come into the presence of God by faith. And so you see the tabernacle even there in the crucifixion of Christ. One last thing I'll mention, and this is what makes me so excited about how worship is central to Lake Baldwin Church and how worship is central to your life. Because what the Bible teaches is that because of what the tabernacle points to, you and I get to come into the presence of God and we get to worship him. And that makes this place where we gather a holy sanctuary of God. And I, I love to think about that thought. Do you know that in Ephesians chapter three, I think it's verse 22, it talks about how 
all of you also are being built into a holy temple. You're being built into a sanctuary of God. Heather made that point when we talked about going to Winter Park High School, is whether we're here, whether we're at Glenridge, whether we're over there, we as the people of God are the sanctuary of God. We are now that tent. We are where God, God's presence comes into our midst. And what does, that, what does that look like when he does? What happens the Holy Spirit, whether you understand this or not, the Holy Spirit is present. So when we're worshiping God and you experience new affections for Christ, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. When we pray together and we call upon God, that is the Holy Spirit at work. When we open up the scriptures and the scriptures bring us hope or bring us comfort or bring us conviction, that is work of the Holy Spirit. When we gather, we experience the presence of God. And not only that, we don't need priests anymore. We don't need those, those bronze bowls anymore. We don't need that lampstand anymore. We don't need any of that anymore because we have the perfect tabernacle in Christ. We don't need a high priest anymore to go into God's presence because we have Christ as our priest. And in fact, not only are we the temple of God, 1 Peter 2 says that we also are priests of God. That's the priesthood of the believer. In other words, we can come into the presence of God and we can also represent the gospel and represent Christ to the world, which gets back to the mission that we're gonna talk about in the month of August of Lake Baldwin Church and that we're gonna pray about. So I love that vision. It gives such significance to the church as the dwelling place of God and as the gathered people of God. Well, I close with a couple of thoughts as we wrap up this, this sort of tour. I want, I'm so excited about the song that we're gonna sing in just a moment because I want you as we sing to picture that heavenly tabernacle and to picture what Christ has done for us now that you understand the tabernacle of Exodus. I wanna say a word to, I've, I've been talking, there are some here who have never yet put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've come to this church, you've heard the good news of the gospel, but you've never responded to the gospel. I would like right now to extend an invitation, whether you're watching online or whether you're here today or if you're listening to this sermon on the podcast, I wanna issue an invitation at this moment to invite you to pray a sincere prayer to God. You've heard about the tabernacle, and here's the prayer I want you to pray. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. So I wanna take a moment, let's all bow our heads right now. And if, it, if in your life you're not sure if you have ever called out to God by faith to say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, would you say these words right now? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Amen. And with those words, you can put your faith in Christ. One last thought. Whenever Molly and I, uh, right before church every week, and we've done this for over 15 years, almost every single week, Molly and I pray together for the worship service. And there's a reason for that. Molly always prays that the people of God would be discipled in church, discipled. What that means is that all of us are growing in grace and that God would use the story of the gospel in all of our lives to cause us to grow in grace. We believe in the discipleship 
of a worship service. We are doing discipleship right here. But the other thing, and then when it's my turn to pray, I pray, God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on the church. It's like, it's like a picture of that cloud descending on the tabernacle and praying that God, the Holy Spirit, would make us his tabernacle, that his cloud of glory would come down on us. And I want to invite you to pray that with me every week as we move to Winter Park High School, as we think about being priests of God, as we think about building a new sanctuary and a new dwelling place. Let's be praying that. So let's pray together right now. Lord, many of these things that we've discussed are almost too wonderful for us to bear or to understand. I would feel foolish saying these words up here if they were not clearly taught in your word. Lord, you have spoken. All we can do is respond to this picture of the tabernacle. All we can do is respond in worship. Give us grace that we would fix our eyes on you, that we would look above and see the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest who intercedes for us to enjoy peace and joy and victory in the Christian life. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.